We're going to be studying in Romans chapter 12. When you get out your Bibles and be turning there, we'll be reading that in just a second. I'd like to start out asking a question for you to think about for a moment. Uh, What percentage of your worship to God happens here in this building? Of all the time that you spend worshiping God, how much of it happens right here? Uh, what is what is that percentage? Um, we're given 168 hours in a week. Uh, we're here for four hours of the week, so that's about two out two percent of our total week. Uh, that that amounts to our worship time of two percent per week, every week for our lives if we're here all the time. So, is that the extent of our worship? Is is our worship here 100% of our worship? Or is this just a small part of the worship that we're involved in each and every day of our lives? I'd like to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 to, to set our minds up for this uh, study together tonight. We're going to be studying this text in greater detail. Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. And perfect. As we as we get to this text, I love this text. This is a text that I think about a lot. If you've been a Christian for very long, whenever you got to this text, this probably blew you away. Romans altogether blows us away as we study it. But whenever we get to this text, the things that he says in this text are radical. Uh, as I was talking to somebody before, go into this text. Well, that's a radical text. Yeah, these these things are radical. As we study these things together, the idea that we are supposed to worship in this way, as he describes in this text, is very radical from what uh, the world might think or what we might have thought before we read this text. We often call this assembly our worship service, period. Uh, But I think that sometimes we can get the wrong impression about our worship to God, if we if we think about it that way, not saying we should call it something else. I don't know what else to call it. Uh, worship assemblies, maybe. Uh, but but worship is more than just our gatherings here. Uh, we gather here to worship, and that is a part of our worship to God, not the whole of our worship to God. Uh, This is the time that we join together to encourage one another in the everyday worship that we're involving ourselves in. Our place of worship is wherever we are. (laughs) It's not this building, it's everywhere, throughout the world. We are a temple of God, so we are worshiping God wherever we are, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, wherever we are. We're worshiping God. And and in this text that we're going to study tonight, we're going to understand more about our worship. What is the basis of our worship? What is the primary act of our worship? And what does that act of worship look like in our everyday lives? That's pretty much what we find out in this text. So we're going to study this together to try to understand it a little better. First of all, we see the basis for our worship. In in verse 1, at the very beginning, he says... 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Notice how Paul starts this off. I appeal to you. It's not I command you, brothers, but I appeal to you. He's urging us. And notice the the basis of this urging that he's giving us. He's urging us to worship by the mercies of God. That's an interesting phrase to think about whenever we consider uh, what he's trying to get at. That we ought to worship God based on the mercy he's given us. Well, what what does that look like? Well, notice a key word here. Therefore. That's, the, that's the, the key word often that we find in Scripture. Therefore. This is a very big therefore. <laughs> they're, they're, they're mostly big, but this is a very big therefore. In this therefore, Paul transitions from talking about, in, in chapters 1 through 3, our need for worship. And then chapter 3 enlightens us to what God has done to provide us with worship. And then chapters 3 through 11 is, is helping us understand the response to that mercy that God has shown us in uh, chapter 3. In chapter 3, he shows us the worship that, that, that we need to have because of the mercy of God. God sent Jesus. A lot of times people think, well, God is this uh, you know, wrathful God and Jesus is the loving one. And so you have to deal with the, the harsh one to, to get the loving one. But that's not really what we see. We see God sending His Son in order to bring about our salvation. So God is the one who is behind it all. God is the one who has provided us with the mercy that we needed, the mercy seat, the propitiation, the redemption. He calls it all these things in Romans chapter 3. So God is giving us great mercy, and that mercy is going to be the basis for all of our worship. The word mercy should trigger in us three thoughts. Number one, our own failures. He said in chapters 1 through 3, None is righteous, no, not one. We have all fallen. Not one of us is righteous. Not one of us is worthy of the blessings that God bestows on us each and every day. Then he tells us about the forgiveness. And that's, that's what mercy should remind us of. The forgiveness of God. His patience toward us. Even though we were, we were worthless. He took us in. He saved us. He made us His own. He gave us forgiveness. And mercy should trigger in our minds now as we read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, that we ought to worship God. Well, what kind of worship does God deserve? What kind of worship is appropriate for the God who is so merciful to us that He would send us this great sacrifice? Should we just do what we've been doing? Should we be singing praises to God? Well, absolutely, right? That's, that's a big reason why we gather together and we love to sing to God. Because of what He's done to us, we love to magnify Him with our voices. We love to talk about Him to, to, to everyone that they might hear and understand that He is good and wonderful. Wonderful. We also might give of our resources and give money to the poor, give money to the church to try to help with that. We're worshiping in all these different ways. But what does Paul say in this text? Notice, he doesn't say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, worship God. That's not what he says. He doesn't 
He doesn't just wrap everything up in one little ball and say, just worship God. And, and then, in your, or he doesn't say, in order to uh, worship God, come together and enjoy each other and sing to, together. He doesn't describe a worship service like we might describe it. But notice the act of worship that Paul gives. He says, sacrifice yourselves. What? (laughs) What? Sacrifice yourselves. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. The mercy of God is supposed to compel us to worship Him with our own lives, with our own bodies. The mercy of God is supposed to compel us to give ourselves up freely for His service. We sing the song, you know, more, less, more of self, less of thee, and then it gets to eventually none of self, all of thee. And that's where we're going in this, is the idea that it's not about me, it's not about myself. I'm giving myself up that I might worship God, that I might be sacrificed for Him. Do we see God's mercy toward us clearly enough to do this? You know, mercy is this is this interesting concept that uh, you know we just we just talked about Romans chapter three, and we can read through there and, and think about yeah, Jesus died on the cross for us, the mercy seat, the propitiation, the redemption. Use all those big words that remind us of the forgiveness that we've received. But when we really think about it, do we really understand how merciful He's been to each and every one of us? I think sometimes we struggle with that. I know I do. I, I was thinking about, as I was writing this, when has is, when is someone showed great mercy to me? And I was reminded of being 17 years old, and my dad got me a nice Toyota Tacoma, extended cab, beautiful truck. I wish I had that truck still. Uh, I had it for less than a year, and I'm going out fishing till 2.30 in the morning. On a Saturday night, and I'm like, I gotta go, guys. I gotta go to church the next morning. Yeah, real responsible, Casey. Good job. So I'm rushing home, and I total it on the way home. Uh, yeah, kids don't follow my example. Um, and my dad shows up on the scene, and it's like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and uh, he says, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Well, I'm I'm glad you're okay." And that was it. And we spent spent the rest of the car ride home in silence. And looking back now, wow. (laughs) That's a lot of mercy that he showed toward me. He could have destroyed me for being so irresponsible and dumb. I mean, and think about what boneheaded moves that you've made in your lives. What, What great mistakes we've all made in our lives that God has been merciful to us. How many different ways can we total our lives? And how many different ways can God tell us, I forgive you. I'm so glad you came back to me. And I love you. 
The mercy of God is something that we need to take in fully and, and dwell on and think about our own sinfulness and His willingness to love us still and forgive us still as we turn our hearts back to Him. And that's supposed to provoke in us enough of a desire to serve Him that we will lay down our lives and be living sacrifices for Him. The idea of sacrifices spurs in my mind the idea of dead animals, and I want to think about this a little bit because notice how he says this. He says living sacrifices. It's not that we decide to go out and make some group of people mad that they stone us to death and we die. But it's that we lay our lives on the altar that we might be put to death every single day over and over and over again. We are living sacrifices. So we get up on that altar, the knife comes down and it hurts us really, really badly. We lose our friends, we lose our family, we lose whatever it is that we lose. And then we get back up. And we look for an opportunity to do it again. As living sacrifices. Worshiping God by giving of ourselves. Day after day. This is the only reasonable service that we can offer. It's interesting, at the very end of that it says, This is our spiritual worship. And, and some translations translate that more word for word, saying, this is our reasonable service. Uh, this is reasonable that we might offer ourselves to God once we consider all the mercy that we have received. So this is what God calls us to do in worship. And, and He desires for us to, to not hold anything back from Him. We are to be living sacrifices that worship Him every single day in a million different ways. So what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? Well, let's think about that a little bit, because verse 2 helps shed some light on that. Verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he starts off telling us how to live sacrificially by saying, do not be conformed to this world. Well, when we think about that a little bit, we might start to get uneasy. Uh, have we conformed to this world? Uh, how, have, how might we have conformed to this world? What might we have done... That shows that we are conforming. Do we see ourselves start to talk the way those around us talk? Are are our friends around us saying things like gossiping? Or maybe they're speaking with angry uh, outbursts and and letting people have it. Uh, Are people around us speaking in a way that we know is evil? And do we not feel tempted to conform to that way of life, that way of speaking to people? Uh, We have people post things on Facebook all the time, rants and stuff. And do we not feel compelled to to be like them, to rant, and to let everybody know how we really feel about stuff? 
And what about those coworkers around us who are uh, going out drinking or something? Do we feel like if we're on a business trip, maybe the pull to be like them, to, to interact with them a little bit more? Or maybe there's somebody who's wrapped up in sexual immorality. Do we feel a pull to fantasize or maybe this one? Maybe there's someone around us who is really coveting something. Some new thing that's nice and shiny and beautiful and they buy it. And they've got these wonderful things all over their house and, and all over their, their bodies. And everything that they've got is, is, is so nice and shiny. And we look at that and we think, oh man, i got to have that. Are we willing to admit that sometimes we have been slow cooked into the same mindset as those around us? We have been slow cooked into thinking like they think, into uh, spending all of our time shopping on the internet, which we all can do, or, or wasting away our time doing the same kinds of things that they're doing, or living in the way that we ought not to live. Well, why do we do that? Why do we let ourselves get slow cooked? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you look at yourself and say, yeah, I'm, I'm falling into that right now. Why would we do that? Well, I think we all struggle to believe that our friends are wrong. (laughs) I mean, they're friends, right? We don't want them to be wrong. We don't want to have to tell them that they ought to be doing things differently than they are. And, And we want them to like us, and we want to like them, and we want to have a good relationship with one another. And it's very easy if we do that. If we have friends who are out there in the world, which is okay... It's very easy to start to acclimate to the things that they see as normal and make those things our norms if we're not careful. We want to believe that that we, we can be untouched by those things, but we might start to see some of those things popping up in our lives and and become deluded to the ways of God and the ways that we ought to live. Let's be honest, constantly seeing Everything that's wrong in everyone around us would be really stressful and it would be really a lot of work and it would be really depressing to do. It's just hard. We want to believe that those around us are doing okay because it hurts our heart to think that they're not. But we have to be careful because we can very easily slow cook ourselves to think It's okay to do this. And we're conforming ourselves to the world. And this is what we're not supposed to be doing. We're supposed to actually be different from those around us. And we we sometimes struggle with that idea, right? Well, if I'm different, then those around us won't like us as much. And if I'm different, then my life will become harder on a number of levels. But isn't that what we see Jesus doing on the earth? Being different? I mean, he comes down to earth as a human, as a Jew. He lives as a Jew, but he does not embrace the norms of society. He is a religious teacher who hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. So there you go. There's the idea that it's okay to be friends with other people who are of the world. But he is not embracing their way of life. We never see him adopt their practices. In fact, Jesus is even willing to hang out with the religious leaders, though he doesn't conform to any of them either. 
But he never adopts their practices either because they're prideful, arrogant, uh, and, and hateful toward other people. He doesn't want anything to do with any of them because they're all like the world. He doesn't want to be like them. He wants to help them to be like he knows God wants them to be. This is what we see in Jesus. And in John chapter 14 through 17... We see Jesus' last words before He goes to the cross to be crucified to His disciples. He sits down with His disciples and He talks to them. And what is the topic of His conversation? I have overcome the world. And I want you to do the same thing. The world does not know you. The world hates you because you follow after Me and do what is good. And you're trying to do God's will. And that's the way they treated me. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus says in in John 17, verse 17, he's praying to God and he says, Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is the truth. Jesus wants us to be conformed to the word of God. And that means that everything that the world is pushing us to do that goes against that word, we have to resist and say, I can't be conformed to that because I'm trying to be conformed to God's word and what God has said. You see how this could be a a, a tremendous sacrifice for us in in this life. To live this way is to live sacrificially. To every day wake up and say, I'm not going to do what everyone around me is doing. I mean, whenever we look out at the world, everybody is living in a way that is wrong. I mean, everybody that we, we interact with every day, they have mindset that is focused on worshiping and serving themselves, worshiping and serving their stuff, worshiping and serving anything but God. But we can't conform to that because we want to worship and serve God. Then he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transition goes from do not be conformed to be transformed. Paul is ultimately calling us to change every aspect of our lives from being like the world to being like God. And he says, it's all about our minds. What do we think about? Are we thinking about fitting in at school? Are we thinking about fitting in at work? Are we thinking about fitting in with our families? Well, the renewed mind is thinking about God. It's thinking about what God wants and God's ways. It's heeding this warning, be not conformed to the world, and embracing the idea of being different for God, to sacrifice ourselves. We think differently about the time that we have and the resources that we have. We, we think, uh, I haven't studied the Bible today. Anybody of the world going to think, man, I haven't studied the Bible today. I need to get into the Word. I haven't prayed today. Anybody of the world going to think that? No. But this is the way the transformed mind thinks. I haven't done that yet. I need to get into the Word today. This This is the most important thing for me to do. To learn from God. And to let Him know what's what I'm going through. We think differently about our time. We don't think... Oh, I can't wait to get home and and relax and do nothing. (laughs) 
we think, what could I do with my time to serve God today? Are the, are the lost being taught? Are the broken being helped? Are the helpless being helped? Are the weak being strengthened? Are we doing anything to help those around us? We think about what we can do with our time and resources to make an impact on the lives of those around us. And whenever we're looking out into the world and we see all these other people that we're working with, we think about them differently, don't we? We think about them not as someone who is okay, who is, who is just able to, to live their life however they want to live, and God's okay with that. We think about them as a lost soul. As someone who is not worshiping God, who has not experienced God's mercy like we have experienced it, who needs that mercy. And we think about how we might influence them differently, that they might turn and serve God too. Ultimately, we're thinking differently about everything because we're thinking about living for God. We're thinking about everything that God's will is for us in this life. Notice how he puts this at the end of verse 2. Transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see the work that's going to be involved in this, right? That, that we might have a mind that is living for God, that is that we're going to be testing out what we're studying. We're going to be going out there and practicing it. We're going to be trying our hardest to do whatever it is that God's Word says that God wants us to do. And whenever we make mistakes, we're going to go back and we're going to find out how we can do it better. We're going to talk to one another about it to find out how we can do it better. And we're going to keep striving and working every day to get better and better and better until we are doing the will of God perfectly. That's our goal. That's our life as living sacrifices. What a picture this is and how difficult a challenge this is for us to just give it all up to serve and worship our God who has been so merciful and loving Toward us. Ultimately, our whole lives are all about this. We're on this earth to be worshipers. We're on this earth to live for God. We're here to be image bearers for God, that others might see Him. Uh, God's mercy has been given to us that we might worship Him with sacrificial service by not conforming to the world. And by transforming our mind to be like His mind. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. We're going to have to focus on the mercy of God a lot. And be dwelling on the fact that He has given me so much forgiveness and grace. And we're going to have to spend a lot of time on ourselves. To make changes in our own lives that glorify Him. So... Have you experienced the mercy of God in your life? Have you, have you accepted the grace that He offers you that you might respond and turn and worship Him with all your heart? And if you have, what does your worship service look like? Whenever you get out your weekly planner, what's your worship service look like for this week? 
How are you going to worship and serve your Creator? What are you going to do? How are you going to be resisting the temptations to conform to this world? Set up a plan to to roadblock that. And how are you going to be helping to build up the Lord's church? How are you going to be helping to teach the lost? How are you going to be helping in the work that God has given us to do? And how are you going to draw closer to God? These are things we need to be thinking about as we live out our everyday lives. We need to be worshiping God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because we love Him because of what He's done for us. If anybody here has not obeyed the gospel and you know what you need to do, uh, please accept His grace and come to Him now as we stand and sing.